are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If I be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Then saith, and saith unto him, If thou beest the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Keep that passage marked. I want to share with you two or three other verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly or high places. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And then First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And then in James chapter 4, verse 7, Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And two other verses. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9. Whom resist ye steadfast in the faith. And now let's bow our heads for prayer, please. And our Heavenly Father, I sure want to be a blessing here tonight. I honestly would rather die before open my eyes and face the congregation than to face them and not be a blessing. And now I have some temptations. I have so many things I want to say that time will not allow it. And I want to be on time. And yet I don't want to press and push through the sermon so that not one part of it is understood and so that not one part of it is a blessing. And so I ask tonight you'll give me very special wisdom as I speak. Give me just the words to say. And Jesus, if possible, I'd like to say them in the exact manner in which you'd have them said. I pray tonight the Holy Spirit would absolutely control me from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet and help me to say exactly what I ought to say. 
Jesus, I'd like to leave with this congregation right something that they can take out of here and put into practice that will help them in their Christian life and help me to communicate those truths effectively. Make the message a blessing and help. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak tonight on resisting the devil. James 4, 7, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. Just like John 3, 16 is a promise and John 3, 36 is a promise. Most of my Christian life or most of my life as a preacher has been spent analyzing problems and seeking for solutions to the problems. And many of the sermons that I've preached through the years have been the solutions that I have found to those problems. Many times a funeral service that I've conducted has been nothing more than answering questions that the family had asked me two or three days prior to the funeral service. I remember a young man saying to me, do you think my mother's in heaven? And I said, yes. Then he said to me, do you think my mother was good enough to go to heaven? And I said, no. And then he said to me, then how does my mother go to heaven? And I explained, and that became the funeral sermon of that young man's mother. There are some things I've noticed as a preacher, and I've experienced as a preacher, that I had a difficult time finding a solution for. Some things seem totally unexplainable. For instance, you take a young baby put into a good Bible-believing fundamental church. I mean a church where they preach separation, and a church where the pastor believes the fundamentals of the faith. And the child goes up through Sunday school, through the nursery department and the primary department, beginner department, all the departments. The family has uh, family devotions. They read the Bible and pray together. And yet, when that child gets 18, 19 years old, in some instances, not in every instance, but in some instances that child has gone out into a life of sin and dope addiction. And I've had parents come to me and say, what happened? Where did we go wrong? We came to church every time the doors were open. We had family devotions. We read the Bible and prayed together. I put my boy in a Christian school. He's never been to public school in his entire life. And yet now he's turned out bad. What happened? And I had to try to analyze that. I have known good gospel preachers. Not too many, praise the Lord. But I've known good gospel preachers who've, who've been true to the Word of God. And they had a good devotional life. And pastored good, solid churches. And yet, down the road, something happened to that fellow that made people ask, what happened to that fellow? And the answer, I believe, is in my sermon tonight. We've taken all the time to tell them about the Lord and about the Bible and about the Holy Spirit and about soul winning. But we haven't taken any time to tell them about their enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your opposer, the one who's against you, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We don't know enough about our enemy. We don't know enough about his tactics, about his operation. Most of us have never thought of James 4, 7 as a promise. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Not one single verse in the Bible tells you to run from the devil. The Bible does say, flee also youthful lust. But the Bible does say, make the devil run from you. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we spent most of our life running from him. And every time he raises his head, we move to another location. He raises his head, we move to another location. He raises his head, we look for a new church. You may as well dig in somewhere and get your ammunition and get ready to fight because you're going to have to fight. There's a real live walking, talking devil, and don't let anybody kid you about that. And he's never more successful than when he makes you think that he doesn't exist. And he's very subtle. If he was too smart for our unfallen parents, Adam and Eve, don't you think that you are smart enough for him? Because here was a man and a woman in a perfect environment. Not in a stage of perfection, but in a stage of innocency. They were in an unfallen stage, and yet they were not smart enough or powerful enough for Satan. He caused them to sin and plunged the whole human race into sin. The Atlanta Braves are meeting the St. Louis Cardinals in the uh, National League playoff of five games. I picked up the paper this morning. I read a number of articles about it. I read the predictions from the Atlanta paper, and you'd imagine what the predictions are from the Atlanta paper. But I read a little note in that said uh, they have been scouting the St. Louis Cardinals for three weeks. In other words, somebody's been watching them very close for three weeks because they knew today they would meet them on a baseball field and they'd be opponents. They knew they'd be an adversary. And they want to know as much about the opponent as they could possibly know. But they've also sent a number of scouts to scout out the angels during their playoff because they have a suspicion they may, meet, may meet them in the, in the World Series if they get past the Cardinals. I wonder, if men are that wise and trying to win a baseball game, don't you think we ought to be at least that wise in the most important work in the world, and that's the work of building churches and winning souls and evangelizing the world? Let me say several things tonight. Number one, let me talk about the enemy we face. He's a real, live, walking, talking enemy. Don't you be like the, like the fellow who got in the boxing ring, and after one round he almost, he was almost knocked out, and his trainer drug him back to the corner and patted him on the back and said, go back and get him this next round. He hadn't laid a glove on you. Second round he went out and got down, knocked, knocked down twice for the count of nine. They drug him back to the corner. The trainer patted him on the back and said, go back and get him this next round. He hadn't laid a glove on you. Third round, he went out and got both eyes closed. He staggered back to the corner. They put a cold pack on his face, one open just a little bit. And his trainer patted him on the back and said, go back and get him this next round. He hadn't laid a glove on you. And the boxer said, I'll go get him this next round, but you keep your eyes on that referee. <laughs> Somebody's beating the devil out of me. Now, you're only whistling in the dark when you try to make out like there's no real, live, walking, talking devil. There is. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your opponent, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist ye steadfast in the faith. President Roosevelt had a little dog that he was rather proud of. He thought it was a good fighter, and it often whipped dogs. But one day when he was out taking a walk, an old mangy dog jumped on the president's dog and liked to kill it. The FBI men pulled the little dog away from the big old mangy dog, and on the way back to the White House, they said to the president, I thought your dog was a good fighter. And the president said, he is a good fighter. He's just a poor judge of dogs. <laughs> and you may be a good fighter, and you may be a good preacher, and you may be a good soul winner, but 
Hey, you better not be a poor judge of your enemy. The devil is real. And Satan, and Jesus knows the reality of Satan. Even when Peter suggested something to the Lord, he saw beyond Peter and saw that was not really the apostle Peter. And he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. The enemy we face, he's a real enemy. Billy Sunday said, I know there's a devil for two reasons. First of all, the Bible says so, and second, secondly, he said, I've done business with him. Now, I heard Brother Olaf say one time, I, if there's no devil, then who's doing all the devil meant? Which is a pretty good question. I used to think when I was a little child that when I closed my eyes, I disappeared. I don't laugh. When I closed my eyes, I couldn't see myself. I figured nobody else could either. But you need not close your eyes and make like the devil's not there. He's really there, and, and he never gives up. You never reach a place in your Christian experience, no matter how high and lofty, and no matter how filled you are with the Holy Spirit, where the devil gives up on you and, and leaves you and says, This guy's a hopeless case. I can't touch him. I can't budge him. He'll bug you and bug you and bug you and bug you till you die. Billy Bray is one of my favorite characters, the old Cornish miner. And Billy Bray said he was digging potatoes one day. He said the devil came to him and said, Billy, now wait, when I say the devil said, I don't mean he talks audibly. The devil works through the mind. He puts a suggestion in the mind, puts the thought into the mind. He's very smart. He knows that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, so he works through the mind. And he put the thought in Billy's mind that God didn't love him because his taters were small and swiveled up. He said, Billy, if God loved you, you'd have great big nice potatoes. God can do anything. And you got those little dried up swivel potatoes. And Billy just talked out loud in his garden. And he said, you devil, why don't you leave me alone? He said, I've been doing battle with you for years and you haven't won yet. Why don't you give up and quit? He said that. He said, beside that, I got your character in a home in a book and it says you're a liar and the father of it. And he said, on top of that, he said, when I served you, I didn't have no taters at all. Now, get! Well, that may sound a little crazy to you, but Satan was real to Billy. The devil is powerful, but he is not all powerful. The only power he has is given to him of God. He's one of the angels, one of the three angels that are named in the Bible. I read a story in Daniel chapter 10 where, where Daniel prayed a prayer. And after 21 days, an angel came with the answer to the prayer. And when the angel got there, he said to Daniel, I left heaven 21 days ago. But I got down to a certain territory and I couldn't get through. And God sent another angel down and helped me through. So that teaches me something. Not all angels have the same power. Some angels are more powerful than others. There was an angel couldn't get through without the help of another angel. And the devil's not in hell, contrary to public opinion or common belief. The devil is a prince of the power of the air. And this angel couldn't get through. And then I read in Revelation chapter 20 where the day is coming when one angel will single-handedly take the devil. Without any help of any other angels, with one hand he'll lay hold on that old dragon, the serpent, which is the devil. With the other hand he'll tie him up with a big chain and throw him in the bottom of his pit and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more to the thousand years to finish. I want to be there. I'd like to stick my tongue out and say, when it happened, the enemy we face is a real enemy. Let me show you something about this enemy. He always attacks at your weakest point or at the weakest time of your life. In Matthew chapter 4, if you notice what I read earlier, it is said that, that after Jesus had fasted 40 days and nights and was afterwards unhungered, then the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. He hit him when he was the weakest, if he had a weakest point. Or at least he hit him, he hit him when he thought he was most likely to give in. Here he was 40 days and nights without anything 
indeed. And of course, he was as much human as you are. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and 100%. He could suffer like you suffer. He could sorrow like you sorrow. And he could hunger like you hunger. And he felt just like you would feel after 40 days with no food. And at that point, the devil said to him, Now then, command the stones to be turned to bread. The devil doesn't fight fair. He'll catch you at your weakest point. When the bills are not paid and you're getting deeper and deeper in the hole, it's then when that fellow in the church who gives the most money will suddenly get a little cross with a pastor and say, if you don't come my way, I'm going to leave you. You need me. It's then about four or five families been supporting you very heavily and move out. It's then the devil's in out. Now you'll have to quit. You got bills you can't play and so-and-so's left and they gave more than anybody else. He hits you always at your weakest point. You have a bad day at the office. It never, it never fails. You have a bad day at the office. You try to answer letters and you never could get it worded exactly right and so you come home nervous and frustrated and your wife won't meet you with a kiss and a sweet hello. You'll discover she always, she also had a bad, bad day and she'll start nagging you about that screen door that's been broke for four years. And she'll stay on you so much that you'll, ne- you'll nearly have a nervous breakdown. Tom Wallace said a nervous breakdown is like a frog on a Los Angeles expressway, a freeway with his hopper broke. I don't know whether it's true or not. He'll always hit you at your weakest point. He doesn't fight fair. He, when he, when he hit, when he, when he went to a, a Jonah, it was when Jonah was weak and he had everything just right. The boat was there. Everything was convenient to do what God didn't want him to do. The devil always makes it easy, always makes it convenient. That's why you don't always determine whether the thing is right or wrong by circumstances, because the devil can arrange certain circumstances. He doesn't fight fair. He'll get you at your weakest point. I'll tell you something else. He never tries to get you to do anything wrong. He tries to get you to do something right in a wrong way. He caught Jesus very hungry, and he said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Is there anything wrong with bread? No. Is there anything wrong with eating? Absolutely not. But there's something wrong with acting independently of God and turning stones into bread to satisfy hunger. Nothing wrong with eating because the angels came and ministered unto him after this temptation. He said to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, he said, cast yourself off the pinnacle. Because it's written, he's given his angels charge concerning thee, and they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shall dash thy foot against the stone. What he's saying is, all right, God will take care of you. The Bible promises he'll take care of Now you trust God. Put your faith in God. Is there anything wrong with trusting God? If a man is in trouble, is there anything wrong with trusting God to take care of him? No. But there's something wrong with a man tempting God by casting himself off of a pinnacle and say, God will take care of me and doing foolish, dumb things. Then he said to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Is there anything wrong with him having the kings of the world? No. Someday he'll have all the kings of the world. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He'll rule all the world and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. Nothing wrong with Jesus having all the kingdoms of the world, but there's something wrong with him buying down to Satan to get all the kingdoms of the world. There's nothing wrong with the, with, with the fleshly desires that men have. I mean, the basic desires, hunger, thirst, the fleshly appetites that men have. Nothing wrong with sex within the regulated bounds of marriage. But it's when you get outside of marriage that makes it wrong. The devil has said to you, but God gave you those desires. You didn't ask for it. He made you like that. If he didn't want you to do that, why did he make you like that? He has a way for you to take care of things, but he also has a way to regulate within the bounds of marriage. He, he doesn't try to get you to do wrong. He tries to get you to do the right thing in a wrong way. Nothing wrong with you having money to pay your bills, but there's something wrong with you getting money in a questionable manner. The enemy we face. Secondly, the exhortation to fight. Here it is in James 4, 7. Draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9. Whom resist ye steadfast in the faith. The word resist simply means fight back. Did you ever see anyone resist arrest? I saw some policemen trying to arrest a drunk. Was a pretty good sized man. And he didn't like the idea of being arrested. And he resisted. I don't mean he looked at the police.
police and said, if you don't mind, I'd prefer not to be locked up. I mean, he put on a fight. When they went for him, he went to swing with both fists, and he knocked about two or three down. And they called in help. He kicked four or five. And they called in more. I mean, he, I never seen a fellow fight like he was fighting. He didn't want to be arrested. He was resisting arrest. And finally, after they cut him over the head two or three times and knocked him almost unconscious, they put handcuffs on his hand. But he didn't walk to the car. He sat down. They had to drag him. He was resisting arrest. When they got him almost to the car, he threw his hand over a parking meter so the, so the handcuffs hung on, and they had to almost tear the parking meter down to get him in the car. When they got him in the car, they thought he had him settled down. He opened the door and jumped out the back. Then they put two officers in the back with him. He fought all the way to jail. When he got in jail, he fought to get out. He was resisting arrest. That's what the Bible means when it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We don't fight back. One of Andrew Jackson's boyhood friends said of him, I could throw Andrew nine times out of ten. But he said he wouldn't stay through. He just kept getting up and kept getting up and kept getting up and kept getting up. The devil hits us one time. We lay down and say, I give up. I'll go to another church somewhere else. You didn't have this. Come on. He hits us one time. We said, you didn't have it. I, 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 you didn't have it. No, the Bible said, resist the devil. Fight back. Grit your teeth like a pit bulldog. Growl and gouge and pull hair and scream and holler and throw your hands over the parking meter. And when, you, when, he thinks you, when he thinks he's got you, jump out of the car. When he gets you to the jailhouse, run around behind the shrub brick. And if he gets you locked up, scream and yell, he wants to get rid of you. That's what it means to resist the rest. Fighting back. Fighting back. Little fella had some ice skate, skated, trying to skate on. And he fell over and over and over and over again until he was busted and bloody. And the tears and the blood and the spittle all ran together until it looked like he'd die. And the fellow out of sympathy walked out and picked him up off the ice and said, Son, why don't you give up? You're going to kill yourself. He cried and said, I didn't buy these skates to learn how to give up on. I bought these skates to learn how to skate on. If you can be stopped, the devil is stopped. He knows a lot more about you than you think he knows. I said he was not all powerful. He is not omniscient either, but he knows more than you think he knows. Let me give you a little bit of his power. How powerful he is. He has power to take the truth out of your mind once it gets in. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13 very quickly. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. What's this? When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, no doubt who that is, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Now watch it. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, here's a man preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, preaching some Bible principle, and you hear it, but you understand it not. And before you can get a good understanding of it, the Bible says the wicked one come and catches it away. Why is it that we can remember beer jingles and cigarette ads better than we remember Bible verses? If I said Winston tastes good, you could finish the rest of that. If I were to hum a little tune that was some kind of a beer jingle or ad, you could probably finish it. Those kind of dumb, silly things seem to sink into our mind and stick and we can't get it out, but we struggle and labor and fight at trying to memorize good poems and Bible verses and we can't seem to keep them up there. Why? Because the devil works at taking that other out as fast as it gets in. I'm sorry to say this, but I still know a little dirty poem by memory that I memorized when I was in the fourth grade school. I've tried to get rid of it. I've tried to blank it out. It is printed indelibly on the wall of my memory. I can't get it out. I shouldn't have had that to begin with. Now I got it and can't get rid of it. Here it says the devil takes it away before, it, before you can understand it. But he not only has power to take the truth out of your mind before it takes root and before you understand it, he has power to put suggestions into your mind. Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and his wife lied about their possession and came and told Peter what they had done. And I have to push through this in a hurry. And he came and told Peter what they had done. Peter answered Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? The heart there was not the pump, the physical pump down here. The heart there was the mind. The heart of the matter is the center of the matter. The heart of the earth is the center of the earth. The heart of the tree is the center of the tree. The heart of man, in most cases, does not refer to the physical muscle pump down here in his chest, but refers to his mind, the seat of his intellect, emotions, and will. And he said, Why has Satan filled thine heart? Or put it in your mind, the light of the Holy Ghost, you've not lied unto men, but unto God. Satan works through your mind. He knows as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so he puts thoughts in your mind. Henry Van Dyke said, Four things a 
man must do if he would make his record true, to think without confusion clearly, to love his fellow man sincerely, to act from honest motives purely, and to trust in God and heaven securely. But first he said to think with honest motives purely. Have an experience where you're riding along and the dumbest, craziest thought occurred. I, I'm a little hesitant to say this, but I've had some dumb things cross my mind sitting on a platform getting ready to preach. I didn't ask for them. They just plop, came in. I had to shake my mind and say, where did that come from? But I learned where it came from. That came from the devil himself. He's a master at that. You sow a thought and you reap a desire. You sow a desire and you reap an act. You sow an act and you reap a habit. And you sow a habit and you reap a character. But it all begins with a thought. And so he puts all kind of dumb, crazy thoughts in your mind. He's very powerful. But the exhortation to fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Fight back. Don't give up too easy. Don't lay down. Why do people fail? Because Not because they don't love God. Not because they don't love the Bible. Not because they don't pray. Nowhere does the Bible say, pray and I'll make the devil run from you. Nowhere does the Bible promise, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the devil won't bother you. Nowhere does the Bible say, get busy soul winning and you'll never be bothered with the devil. We spend all of our time saying, Lord, help me out. I'm in trouble. Lord, help me out. I'm in trouble. And he didn't say, pray and I'll make him run. He said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's no shortcut. you got to resist. You have the enemy we face and the exhortation to fight. You also have an encouragement to fight. First John chapter 4, verse 4, the latter part of the verse. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. That quotation of that verse does not automatically bring victory. That verse is a statement of fact. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But you can say that all day long let the devil beat you in the dirt while you're quoting it. That's like saying greater is the power of the jet engine than the pull of gravity. What I say is true. It's a statement of fact. But just me saying that won't make the airplane fly. It may encourage the guy to start the engines and, 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 and fly the plane. But just the quotation of the fact does not make the plane fly. It's an encouragement for the guy to fly it. Greater is the power of the jet engines than the pull of gravity. It's the truth, but it doesn't do anything. Greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. That's the truth. But you can just quote the verse over and 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 the devil will beat you in the ground all the time you're quoting it. That's like me getting in the ring with Muhammad Ali. And let's suppose I had a right hook that was ten times worse than his. And the left hook ten times worse is. And I just stood there and ring, ring and grinned and said, greater is my right hook than yours. Greater is my right hook and greater is the power of my left hook than yours. I can say that all day long. He'll knock me out while I'm saying it. I don't need to say greater is my right hook. I need to show him my right hook's greater. And First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There's a power in you that, that's enough to overcome the devil. You don't have to give in. You don't have to yield. If you'll fight back and hit him with all you got, you can be victorious and you'll fight against the devil. I close with this. You have our example to follow. Turn to Matthew chapter four, very quickly, and this is where I'll wrap it up. Matthew chapter four. I want you to see the example that our Lord left us when the devil came to him in Matthew chapter four. By the way, you only have one offensive weapon in the Christian's armor. The only offensive weapon listed in Ephesians chapter six is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Bible said the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. But you got to learn how to use it. Now watch these verses. Verse three, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he, that Jesus, answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'm not going to ask you where that verse is found in the Bible. But suppose the devil had come to you and said, command these stones to be turned to bread. Could you have reached for that verse that quick? Or would you be stumbling and stuttering and, and looking for a verse and say, somewhere I think it might say, I'm not sure, but I heard someone say, not the Lord, he is ready. As soon as the devil said, command the stones to be turned to bread, he hit him with the only offensive weapon you have, the Bible. It is written, man. 
man shall not live by bread alone. What? But the devil don't give up easy. He's the most determined adversary I know anything about. He said, oh, you're going to give that scripture to me. All right, I'll quote you some verses. By the way, he's pretty smart. He'd been reading Psalms. And so he quoted some verses back to the Lord. And he said, it is also written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and so forth. And they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. He didn't quote it verbatim. He missed part of it. But our Lord did not change his tactic. Look in verse 7. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. Same weapon. Word of God. It's written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What? He caught him again. Second time. The devil doesn't give up easy. And remember, he's doing battle with the Son of God here. He's not doing battle with some backslidden preacher. He's not doing battle with somebody that gives up every time the wind blows the wrong way. He's doing battle here with somebody he knew wasn't going to give up, but he is determined to try to get him. And so he come back the third time. He hit him again. He came him up on the pinnacle and said, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down off this pinnacle. Or he said, if you're the Son of God, bow down and worship me. And I'll give you all the kings of the world. And notice what Jesus said to him this time. In verse 9, then verse 10, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence thee. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. And the next verse says, and the devil leaveth him. But a parallel reading says the devil departed for a season. He wasn't gone very long. He'll be back tomorrow. You may fight back and he'll leave. He'll be back tomorrow. You may fight back. He'll leave. He'll be back. But just keep fighting him off and fighting him off and fighting him off. His stays will sometimes get a little longer, but just keep battling back. Every time the devil comes you with something, you ought to have an appropriate Bible verse to hit him with. Suppose he said to you, listen, man, didn't you read the paper? Over 1,200 businesses went bankrupt in the last two weeks. Haven't you read the paper? Over 18,000, nearly 20,000 businesses have closed and gone bankrupt since January the 1st. More businesses closed than any year since 1933. Don't you know you can't raise money today? Don't you know you can't have a bus ministry today? Don't you know gasoline's too high? You had to take those buses off. You can't keep that up. What you gonna do? You better hit him with something. I suggest you hit him with Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. It is written, my God shall supply all of our needs. We're gonna do it anyway. Suppose he says to you, you can't pay your bills. And he gets you all nervous and frustrated and you about to have a nervous breakdown. What are you gonna say to him? Give him Philippians 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about even one single thing. But in prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and so on. There's an appropriate verse for every attack he makes on you. And Jesus knew the verses. But we don't know where the gun is. We don't know where the sword is. And the devil attacks. And we don't have, we don't know what to say because we don't know the Bible well enough. He tries to make you worry. Give him the verse that says you're not to worry about one thing. He tries to say God won't take care of you. Tell him God's upon all you need. Just keep giving the Bible back and hitting him back with it. And hitting him back with it. And hitting him back with it. And finally Jesus said to him the third time, get thee hence Satan. I wouldn't be afraid to tell him to go home. Heard Tom Malone tell us a little story. Sweet. He'd been out in a meeting and preached. Tell him about a handful of people's there, and one man got saved about 50-something years old. If I recall the story, Dr. Moan said he was on his way home late at night and tired, and the devil said to him, Tom, you're making a fool of yourself. He said, you're beating your brains out, and said, that one little fella got saved, and you don't know whether he's really saved or not. How do you know he got saved? He said, riding along in the car, he said to me, you didn't need to go out there. You're wasting your time. You could have gone somewhere else. And he said, he just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. So Dr. Malone said, I had all I could take. He said, I just pulled off the side of the road and turned the engine off. Walked around the passenger side of the car and opened the door. And he said, devil, this is my car. I pay the notes on it, and I keep up the insurance. And you rode with me just as far as you're going to ride. Now you can get out. And he said, I closed the door and locked it and went and got back on the other side and rode on home happy. Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan. I remember when I first learned this truth, and the devil bugged me about things. And, and I learned to recognize that my enemy, and sometimes in my office, I'd talk out loud, and I'd say, well, you dirty, low-down devil, you. My secretary peeped the door through I was talking to on the phone. She called in a conversation on the phone. She said, are you all right? I said, I'm fine. I said, you dirty, low-down devil, you, 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 you're the author of that. You put that in my mind. You're crazy. I said, the Bible said so and so and so and so. Now, you can take that back to hell, will you? And get out of here and leave me alone. Learn to fight back. The promise is resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But you 
must be careful. He's too powerful for you. The only authority I have over him is the authority Jesus purchased at Calvary. If I come to your door and say, let me in, you may not let me in. But if I come to your door and say, in the name of the law, let me in, that changes it. And so when you say the devil in the name of Jesus, he shut, he, 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 he shudders. I never fought very much, but I had a fight when I was in, when I was in grade school. Never will forget the fight. I wish I could forget it. An awful fight. A little fellow named Jimmy Cobb. I hope he's not here tonight. We had these rubber guns with these, uh, rubbers we'd cut inner tubes and, and put the rubber over the gun, pull it back and put it in the clothes pen with shooting each other those rubbers. You may know I can't take time to explain it. But the battle got so hot we quit firing the gun, took the rubbers off and started pulling it and shooting each other like that. And I wasn't going to back down. He got right in my face, began to shoot me in the face with it and I got right in his face, shot him back. I thought like, you'll give up in a minute. I'm not going to give up. I can take much as you can. He'd pop me and I'd pop him. I thought we were going to knock each other's eyes out in a minute. And a few minutes to recess, bell rung. And I acted like I really hated it to rung. I said, well, I wish we could finish this, but we got to go back class. Was I relieved for that bell to ring? But open my mouth. I shouldn't have said anything. I said, but we'll take it up after school. Down there on that oak tree, down there on the dirt road, down the school. I'll meet you down there. I was hoping he wouldn't do it. When I got down to the oak tree, there he was. And before I could say anything, he latched on to me. And down we went. And he beat the daylights out of me. I mean, he, he turned me away, but it was hit me. I didn't know a fellow could hit a fellow that fast. I had an older brother, Bobby. And I said, Bobby, help me out. And Bobby went to help out. And he had an older brother named Ralph. And he grabbed Bobby. And finally, I just figured I just played like I was knocked out or dead. He'd get off of me. And so I just said, uh, I tried to hold my breath. If I was dead, I figured he'd quit. He crawled off and left me. When I was sure there was way out of sight, I got up and ran for all my life. I still remember that guy's name. His name's Jimmy Cobb. Had a brother named Ralph. Had a sister named Nell. Did you know, still, I'm 48 years old, but every time I hear the name Jimmy Cobb, I still flinch. His aunt got saved and joined the church after I was pastor there. She said, I'm Mrs. So-and-so Cobb. And I, I didn't want to ask her nothing. I just flinched. I thought, Cobb, rough as a Cobb. Cobb. And she said, so-and-so is my You know some of my relatives. I said, oh. She said, you know, Jimmy, I shook all over. I was embarrassed. My face turned red. I said, I hope Jimmy didn't tell her. I hope he didn't tell her about that fight on that tree. I can say, devil, get out of here and leave me alone. Get free, Hanson. He don't shake a bit. But if I say in the name of Jesus, he starts shaking. Because he remembers the fight at the old tree. And he's still embarrassed about it. Because he had his head bruised, and he's a whip foal, and he knows he's a whip foal, and so he's running around through the world, seeking who he made a vow. Whom resist ye steadfast in the face. And when you say in the name of Jesus, he shivers and shakes all over because he remembers the licking he got 2,000 years ago at Calvary. May God help us to be like Billy Sunday, who said, I'm going to hit him as long as I got a fist. I'm going to kick him as long as I got a foot. I'm going to butt him as long as I got a head. I'm going to bite him as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old and toothless, I'm going to gum him till I die. May God raise up a generation of preachers that'll stand and fight the devil and fight the devil and fight the devil and fight the devil until they experience the business of having him flee from you and then have the angels come and minister to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.